Welcome to AM Now, where we bring you the trending accounting matters we're following. I'm your host, Adam Olson, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nicole Harger and Matt Fisser. Each bite-sized episode keeps you and your finance and accounting teams in the know. Join us each week as we unpack these issues, topics, and accounting matters now. You're listening to AM Now, an accounting matters podcast. I'm Adam Olson. And I'm Matt Fisser. We're kicking off this week with some developments on the SEC front, including a new SEC rule impacting special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs. We'll then move on to some updates on the sustainability front, particularly as it relates to some delays around the CSRD in the EU approved by the European Council. We'll wrap up this week providing you all a quick recap of the FASB's most recent board meeting. So let's get started. On January 24th, the SEC adopted final rules to enhance disclosures and provide additional investor protections in initial public offerings by special purpose acquisition companies and in subsequent business combination transactions between SPACs and target companies, also known as DSPAC transactions. As a reminder, SPAC IPOs and DSPAC transactions can be used by private companies to enter the public markets. Given the complexity of these transactions and past concerns raised, the Commission seeks to enhance investor protection in SPAC IPOs and DSPAC transactions. The final rules enhance SPAC-related disclosures and provide additional protections by more closely aligning the required disclosures and the legal liabilities that may be incurred in DSPAC transactions with those in traditional IPOs, including deeming the target company an issuer that must sign a Securities Act registration statement filed by a SPAC or other shell company, in connection with a DSPAC transaction, requiring additional disclosures regarding, among other things, SPAC sponsors, SPAC sponsor compensation, conflicts of interest, dilution, and the target company, requiring additional disclosures in DSPAC transactions regarding any determination by a board of directors or similar body as to whether the DSPAC transaction is advisable and in the best interest of the SPAC and its shareholders. If required by law and any outside report opinion, or appraisal received that materially relates to the DSPAC transaction. The new rules also require a 20-calendar-day minimum dissemination period for prospectuses and proxy and information statements filed for DSPAC transactions where consistent with local law, and require a redetermination of the smaller reporting company status following the consummation of a DSPAC transaction and requiring such redetermination to be reflected in filings beginning 45 days after the DSPAC transaction's consummation. The rules also adopted new measures to enhance investor protections and business combinations involving shell transactions, including DSPAC transactions. Rule 14-5A now deems any business combination of a reporting shell company with a non-shell entity as an offer or sale under the Securities Act. Additionally, the financial statement requirements for transactions involving shell companies and private operating companies have been revised to align more closely with those in traditional IPOs. These changes aim to provide better Securities Act protections for investors in these types of transactions. To address concerns around projection disclosures, the new rules include a redefinition of blank check company under the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act, making it safe harbor for forward-looking statements unavailable for these entities. The rules also mandated detailed disclosure requirements for projections and DSPAC transactions, including the disclosure of all material bases and assumptions underlying the projections. Additionally, they updated and expanded guidance on the use of projections in all SEC filings. The final rules issued by the SEC will become effective 125 days after their publication in the Federal Register. 
And moving along, we have some updates again coming out of the EU that U.S. companies likely to be impacted by the CSRD may want to listen to closely. In a notable vote of 21 to 2, members of the European Parliament have agreed to postpone certain elements of the CSRD by two years. These elements include the adoption of standards for companies to provide sector-specific sustainability disclosures and for sustainability reporting from companies outside of the EU. This delay is a response to a proposal by the EU Commission from October last year, part of the 2024 Commission Work Program. The program aimed at reducing reporting burdens for companies and identified the delay in adopting sector-specific European Sustainability Reporting Standards, ESRS, as a key action. To give a bit of background, the ESRS is designed to regulate how companies report on sustainability, encompassing their impacts, opportunities, and risks. Last July, the Commission adopted the first set of ESRS rules, which were general and not specific to any industry or sector. The CSRD, however, mandated that by the end of June 2024, more detailed industry-specific reporting standards should be in place. This also included similar rules and forthcoming standards for certain non-EU companies operating within the EU, with reporting to start in 2028. Yeah, and under the newly approved proposal, these timelines are being pushed back by two years. The reason? To give companies more time to adapt to the initial set of ESRS rules and to lessen the reporting load. Additionally, this delay would allow the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, EFRAG, ample time to develop these new, more detailed standards. But members of the European Parliament aren't just agreeing to a delay. They're calling for action, too. They've requested the standards to be published as soon as they're ready, even before the deadline, to give impacted entities a heads up on upcoming reporting requirements. Looking ahead, the proposal now moves to the Parliament plenary for approval. This will set the stage for negotiations then with the EU Council. And finally this week, we're diving into the latest developments from the FASB and their most recent board meeting held on January 31st. First up, the FASB has been actively working on refining the proposed accounting standards update related to the income statement, specifically the disaggregation of income statement expenses. In the meeting, the board has reaffirmed its intention to require companies to disclose more detailed breakdowns of relevant expense captions. This is a significant move towards enhancing transparency in financial reporting. Yeah, in their deliberations, the board had directed its staff to undertake additional research too. This includes clarifying the impact of joint ventures and other cost-sharing arrangements, providing guidance for specific industries like oil and gas, and detailing how companies should identify relevant expense captions when presenting their income statements. They also directed their staff to look further at the disclosure and disaggregation of inventory and manufacturing expenses. This included several alternatives being suggested by the FASB board as part of the staff's exploration of making changes to those captions. One key decision made by the board was to require entities to disclose employee compensation, depreciation, and intangible asset amortization for each relevant expense category. This is aimed at giving a clearer picture of a company's operational costs. The board also discussed the need to integrate certain existing disclosures with new income statement mapping requirements. This is to ensure consistency and comparability across different financial statements. Yeah, and in terms of selling expenses, the FASB is pushing for entities to disclose total selling expenses as defined by the entity itself. However, the board is seeking further clarification on how this intersects with existing advertising expense disclosures. These proposed changes are expected to only impact public business entities, as affirmed by the FASB, with even a possible scope exception being explored for certain public business entities that are non-issuers. 
Now turning to another critical topic discussed at the January 31st meeting, accounting for environmental credit programs. The FASB has made several decisions here. This includes affirming that they believe an entity should recognize a liability for environmental credit obligations, ECO, based on activities or events up to the balance sheet date, as if the balance sheet date was the end of the compliance period. The board has also outlined how these liabilities should be measured and subsequently measured. For the funded portion of the ECO liability, it should be measured at the carrying amount of compliance environmental credits at the balance sheet date. An entity should use its best estimate of the credits that will be de-recognized upon settlement consistent with any portfolio or costing methods that the entity applies to account for its compliance environmental credits. For the unfunded portion of the ECO liability, it should be measured at the fair value of the environmental credits necessary to settle the liability at the balance sheet date, with exceptions to that measurement principle where the liability intends to be settled by remitting cash to a regulator or by using credits obtained through a commitment of a fixed amount of credits at a fixed price. And subsequent measurement would recognize any changes in the ECO liability and earnings presented in the same income statement line item as the initial measurement of the liability. Should an entity need to de-recognize an ECO liability, it would do so following guidance in ASC 405 around extinguishment of liabilities with any gains and losses presented in the same income statement line item as the initial measurement of that liability. At the same meeting, the board also addressed the balance sheet presentation and classification of environmental credit liabilities and assets. To start, they noted offsetting an ECO with related environmental credit assets would be prohibited. ECO liabilities expected to be settled in a year or less would be classified as current with all others as non-current and environmental credit assets to be sold, traded, or remitted within a year would be classified as current with all others as non-current. Lastly, the board addressed the fair value option for environmental credit liabilities, deciding that entities should not be allowed to apply this option. They also clarified that an entity should not evaluate environmental credits recognized as assets and ECO liabilities under the derivative and hedging guidance in ASC 815. And I know many companies are watching the development of this FASB project closely as more and more enter into these types of arrangements in line with their own sustainability targets, goals, and strategies. We will continue to bring updates as they develop. And that rounds us out for this week. For a deeper dive into what's trending in accounting and finance, check out our other podcast on the Accounting Matters feed on your preferred listening platform. Again, I'm Adam Olson. And I'm Matt Fisser. Thanks for listening to AM Now. We'll see you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.